So guys, I was thinking of this new campaign, all right? So what I want to do is, I want to set it in like the Regency era England, and instead of focusing on combat and exploration, I really want to focus a lot more on character interaction, and romance, and, and just regular drama. So what do you guys think of that? Can we do that in 5e? Stop. Stop. There are more games out there, people. And we're going to tell you all about them. On this week's episode of Modified Rolls. <laughs> out there if you did not get it is good society <laughs> the game that we were talking about here please don't convert your dungeons and dragons 5e campaign into a regency era um game of intrigue and scandal there's better uh, systems but, but please do go play good society yes uh, you know why if you've listened to me for five minutes don't worry you'll get a, we're you'll obsessed get, with that you'll get back to it in 20 minutes sarah um <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Modified Roles, where we are finally getting around to discussing what is pretty much our mission statement here as DMs After Dark, which is play more games. Please, people, understand that not only um, are there more games out there made by people who are pouring their heart and soul into things that uh, play very well and offer completely new experiences outside of the Power Fantasy, uh, most popular role-playing game in the world that you know, everyone's familiar with, but it's an opportunity to broaden your horizons and like we talk about in a lot of these modified roles episodes, become a better game master or dungeon master, right? Even if you take a week off of your regular D&D game to run a one shot using a new system, you're going to pick something up running that system that you either go, wow, I really like how they handled this or wow, I hated everything about this. And it's going to make the things that you do like about D&D shine that much better. And maybe even make you think of a new way that you could use them that you didn't before. So, on that note. What, what is D&D 5e good at? That's our frame of reference. D&D 5e yeah. is very good at high action medieval fantasy. Um, it's good at uh, like big world spanning kind of quests, stopping great evils, that sort of thing. Um, and it's like I said, it's very it's very high action focused. It's everything takes an action. It breaks down all the actions your characters take into roles, and there's a lot of minutia. It's a blow by blow um, mm -hmm. of physical and social interaction, and that is great for what it is. What it's not great at is everything else. <laughs> it's designed for yeah. a very specific thing, and because D and D is also um, it's generally very reliant on magic and spells. Trying and to idols. take what exists already and cut that out for like a lower magic setting or trying to patch different things and like patching tech into standard Dungeons and Dragons. Like it's incredibly hard to balance because the entire game is complicated to a degree and it was built with a very specific idea. Throwing stuff in later doesn't work great. That's why Psionics in 3.5 was such a nightmare. Psionics mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. has always felt bolted onto the game anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to say... I'm going to say 5e is not exactly very well balanced to begin with, but I would I also pick too many fights today. I would it. I would just say that, you know, 5e is built to have an epic boss fight that you know you're going to win. Yes, that's a, that's a great idea. And that's that's exactly 
what the game is built to do and that's fine but that's only one way of playing the game uh and it's built upon because you've heard amber and, and rainy talk about balance just now and it, it's built around a concept of balance and i'm going to throw out a radical concept here games don't need to be balanced right that's also true and it can be very very good games out there that are not balanced uh that are still really really fun just for different reasons we also got to get back to amber's point which is what is D good at and this is going to really frame what we talk about this whole episode which is what is a game designed to do well how does it reinforce that in players you know both by giving them actions that make them do things and then rewarding them you know another thing about D D 5e is that if you read all these things pretty much all you ever get out of this is either gold or a magic item right um, levels, oh, like, levels are a huge levels track. that's i think that's the key it's, levels it's, it's a biggest, it's yeah. a fantasy power fantasy right it's a fantasy yeah. fantasy genre power fantasy and what is the goal is to acquire power for your character D mm-hmm. is not particularly gritty and it's not designed to be gritty nope. um yep. one of the things that i noticed that i have a i have a long term my home group has been playing D and pathfinder for an extremely long time and only recently we started branching into different systems and they're having a very hard time adjusting if you're used to playing dungeons and dragons which is a game that the players win win all the time, mm. win in spectacular fashion. Um, playing something like a, like an idea of just always, of like constant consequence, such as like in Blades in the Dark, where, oh, yeah. where the consequence is supposed to be something you lean into. It's part of the fun. It develops your character. It makes situations more interesting. They hate that shit. <laughs> they do not like that. They're like, what do you mean? I do it, but this horrible thing happens. Like, like, like that's part of the game. You're supposed to have fun with it. <laughs> yeah. Even even going back to conversations that I've heard you and Jess have about Pathfinder 2E from 5E, D&D 5E, um, just, you know, like you said, d and not meant to be gritty. It's not meant to be difficult. You're supposed to win. And you guys are struggling in combats with Pathfinder 2E because that is a game that is designed to be a bit more granular and a lot more difficult with tactics in battle and stuff like that. There's a marketing expectation issue there because Pathfinder 1 was also designed for players to win. And so was 3.5 D&D. Pathfinder 2 is very different. So you're playing D&D and, and they're writing the adventures the same sort of way too. It's like endless um, droves of enemies and challenges. I like, would argue I would argue that Pathfinder 2E does it a lot better though in their adventure paths compared to 5E's modules because 5E in the rules says there's supposed to be six encounters per adventuring day. When has anyone ever done that? Ever. And Pathfinder 2E's dungeons and things like that really are designed where, like, you have limited places to go and you are going to get in those encounters. They are very well uh, funneled or railroaded, if you will, to the point where, like, you're not supposed to rest before you hit the certain amount of encounters that are going to whittle your character down to make that final boss fight hard. Whereas D&D 5E, even running long campaigns like i have for a long time that doesn't happen but this is not the episode where i shit on dnd 5e forever yeah yeah let me let me step in here really quick as the person who currently plays a lot of dnd and pathfinder uh they're fun mm-hmm. yeah and if you enjoy them enjoy yeah, them i love the hell out of dnd and pathfinder they're my babies i do too and like we are not here to shit on them. Okay, let me pause. I'm not here to shit on them. Rainy might be here to shit on them. Rainy might. Well, um, again, I, I, I run. What they do, and, but there's other, if you right. want to do different things with them, we want to encourage you, as opposed to going through the grueling job of trying to convert 
D&D into a different style thing, look for a game that already does that and was designed from the ground up to do that new thing. Exactly. It's about I think, the I think that's the point I'd like to, to have is, you know, earlier in the week, I posted something on our Facebook, which is an article that I took off of Tor Fantasy about, you know, my breakup with D&D. And it was someone who wrote an article about uh, having, you know, tried to DM and having a lot of frustrations with DMing and winding up thinking, you know, going into D&D thinking, hey, I'm a writer. I love creating things. This is going to be great. I'm going to love this. This is going to be so great with all my friends and being very frustrated and, and eventually walking away from the hobby, uh, you know, disappointed. And I read that article and the, what I picked up from it was that they were playing the wrong system. Uh, and because their frustrations were prep, what they needed to keep track of while they were running the game. and that's D&D is very heavy with those things when you're running it. It's a very hard game to run because you have a lot of minutiae to keep track of if you're a DM. I don't think D&D is the system to start with if you want to DM. I don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's the point that we're trying to get at here, right, is that there are so many systems out there right now, right? There are constantly new ones being built. There are constant games to be built. And it's it takes a little bit of research, right, and a little bit of work, but you can find a system that is both built exactly the way you want, with the story you want to tell, a system that kind of reinforces and encourages the things that you're looking for, and like a genre that's better fitting for the story that you want to tell. Absolutely. Yeah. I. I so one of the things you always hear when people talk about any role-playing game, but specifically D&D, like when they're trying to hook new people is, dude, you can do anything. Oh, like, what do you want to do? You can do <laughs> so anything. True. And it's like, well, not really. But so here's that leads perfectly into what we were talking about. Uh, we should talk about other types of games. And I kind of break them down into two types. So I think maybe we should start with, uh, like Jess was just saying, there's so many games that cover the thing that you want to do. You just need to look for that. And I'm going to focus those into much more specific focused games, right? Things that do one thing and do that one thing very well. Honestly, a lot of games that are powered by the apocalypse uh, do this. They take a mechanics engine, the, the apocalypse engine, 2d6 plus modifier with the varying levels of success. And that framework is really good at telling these narrative, you know, fiction first stories. But you can really tailor it to tell whatever kind of story you want. Within PBTA, a game like Masks A New Generation is a very focused teenage superhero game but also another PBTA game is something like Bluebeard's Bride. Bluebeard's Bride is a perfect example of a counter type of game to masks, right? A, a powerless very, female very horror game. So, so what do you mean by it focuses on one thing really well? Do you mean like one particular situation and topic or do you mean like one? The story it wants to tell. So mm, okay. um, yeah, and, and part of this is uh, – for example, in Powered by the Apocalypse, the way that playbooks in D&D, you have classes, right? So you can be the fighter or the wizard or whatnot. Mm -hmm. yeah. In Powered by the Apocalypse games, you play a playbook. And as opposed to having the same actions that everyone has, playbooks have specific moves that tell you what that character wants to do, what their story is going to look like, right? Um, they do a very good job of being like, for example, in Masks A New Generation, if you are playing the protege, you have a mentor that you are following and they have expectations for you. Your whole story, no matter how you build that protege, is going to be about living up to those expectations, but also defining yourself. You know what I mean? Not being the carbon copy of your mentor. 
becoming yourself, but living up to their expectations. It forces you to kind of play this kind of story, but you have a lot of wiggle room as far as... Where you want to take it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what you want to do within that role. So you have a framework to work with rather than a closely defined role. What are some other um, So I think game, game, games. games that are built around a certain uh, intellectual property fall into that category. Very good example. Yeah, Conan. Uh, Modifius puts out a lot of those games, right? She had like Conan, Dune, Star Trek. They use the same house system for them. Um, I'm, from what I've heard, I've only ever read Conan. They're diff- a little different in each one, but but the way they've done it is has been easy for them to um, design it's a, a 2D20 2D 20 system, right? That experience, yeah, it's a 2D20 system. Uh, and I will say that, you know, the Conan system uh, delivers a Conan type of experience. You're out there slaughtering people and stealing stuff. And that's, you know, hey, that's what you want to do. Uh, and it's and it's built within Conan's world. And they've done a good job of that. So that is, you know, certainly something you can take uh, the next category that Rainey's going to get at with his more general generalist system. And you can build it with that. That's delivered specifically built to deliver the Conan experience or the Star Trek experience or the, you know, James Bond experience or the Indiana Jones experience. That's a game that's floating around out there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. That's actually a great example, um, and some of those aren't done very well, but IP ga- games based on IP is a great example of <clears throat> focused games. You know the kind of story that you're going to get from that. I think Cyberpunk Red might be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah's Sarah, trying for joy. Listen, I've been sitting here for five minutes being like, I don't want to interrupt. Is there a game you want to tell us about, Sarah? Really... <laughs> Shut your mouth, yeah, Have we heard of this game before? I don't know, what? right? What? We really need that jingle. There it is. There's specifically Sarah Talks with Good Society. And I'm s i sound like a broken fucking record. But good God, Good Society <laughs> does what it wants to do so well because it is extremely cooperative in the way it wants to tell a story, in that its main mechanic and its almost only mechanic is these resolve tokens. Um and it's not just hey, I give you this token, this thing has to happen. It's, I give you this token for this thing to happen. Do you accept it? So you still have control. No. (laughs) But you can. You can. Like, you have control over your character and what happens to them, but sometimes you realize by taking it and letting the shitty thing happen, it proves for a better story. We should do an episode at some point on how to train long-term D&D players to accept and embrace other games. But, like... On like a, a way that you are a player and perceive story level because like some long-term D players like i'm thinking of a few from my group like they would just not accept a game like that like mm. where like a bad thing will just happen to you and it makes things more interesting they're like no bad things can never happen to me <laughs> yeah we're, we're not a group like, that know, really likes consoles but that's, yeah, that's the, that's the power fantasy win, win, right? win. yeah they're so trained on that power trip that mm-hmm. D is very good at delivering which is fun but they like I can't conceive of a game where like difficult things are fun. <laughs> I'll I will actually also say nice things about Good Society, and I think this is the nicest thing I could possibly say about it. Sarah is that as an example of a game that's designed to deliver a certain experience, it does it to a T. And what I'm thinking about, and I'm going to pick on Troy since he's not here, is when we played the first time we played it, where we didn't play it, we didn't stream it, but it was our first time we played it. And you said, hey, I'm going to run Good Society. It's based upon the works of Jane Austen. And Troy said, who's Jane Austen? Right? <laughs> and I'll never and so, you know, we kind of had to tell him a little bit about that. But having no real experience with who Jane Austen was, 
he delivered a, like a great character and yeah. a great, and we Amazing. delivered a great story. I mean, that was a fantastic experience when we played that game. And so yeah. that was and just his, made. He came to with do no that. experience, yeah. but his character looked like she came right out of an nope. Austin novel, one hundred and ten percent. So what I was going to say is what I like and what I'm hearing from all of these examples is that these other games just kind of give away to – what am I trying to say? There's kind of more of a focus, right, on the story that you want to tell, which is I think you were trying to touch on, Rini. What I feel like one of the things I struggle with with 5e and D&D and things like that is kind of – figuring out a scope for the adventure and kind of tailoring everyone to be on that adventure, right? Yeah, and figuring out storylines. where character at, arcs and stuff. Where yeah. You have where, a system where like you are a specific type of person, like you're, you're mm-hmm. a monster in high school. Like you all have. Yeah. Women. And the scenario. Yeah. And your motive and your scenario is already built into whatever system of the game you're trying to play. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I really like from what I'm hearing. I will also say, um, and this is a great way to try new games without overwhelming yourself. Uh, pick up one-page RPGs. Mm-hmm. Pick up very rules-like games that are like eight pages. There's a lot of indie developers making games that are small. Three packs in a trench coat. It's yep. so good. <laughs> yeah, small, simple, and Literally straightforward. One page, and you yeah. know what you're going to get. It's, yeah, three raccoons in a trench coat. Like, just the title alone, you knew we were going to have a stupid time, but a hilariously fun time. You know, but there's a lot of games like that that really do, you know, tell you right from the get-go what you're going to get from that game. And even if it's a one-shot that you have a blast with, a lot of people have heard of Honey Heist. You're a bunch of bears and a badger who have to steal a bunch of honey from somewhere. And you know, that's just going to be dumb. You know what I mean? But at the same time, the rules are so straightforward, so light, um, that, you know, they don't let you get bogged down in a bunch of craziness. Um, where you can lose focus, they are just here. You go, have fun, mm-hmm. and you're off to the races. And that might be a good way to get people into other games besides D and D because it's it's a one night commitment. Because you know, yep. people, I think that the the biggest hurdle to get some pump someone to play a game other than D and D is the time commitment and learning a whole new set of rules. Right, those are the two two biggest things. So you say, hey, hey, we're going to play this whole campaign of whatever X new game system you want to play. People are like, well, what if I don't like it? You know, well, well, let's just play one shot. It's one night. If you don't like it, whatever. And then the second one is, well, I have to learn a whole new rule system. So I think rules light games are really good to start with there because people don't feel like they have to invest too much time and energy. Because honestly, and here's the thing, here's a misconception people have. Because D&D is hard to learn, again, it's the gateway drug into our hobby, but it's honestly, it's not the best one because it's hard to learn too. I always and, tell people, especially teens and tweens that want to get into D&D, but they're overwhelmed by the rules. I'm like, just do Dungeon World. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because it's such an easier game, favorite. right? It's a great one. It's very simple. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just do But there's a conception that every other game has to be that way. And that's not the case. A lot of games, even, you know, even games of 400 page rule books are built around really simple mechanics. So it might even, it might, the game itself might even look intimidating, but it's not. Because it's, you know, one mechanic. Once you know the one mechanic, you know how to do everything else. So that actually leads very well into the next type of game, which is generalist games. Um, We're talking about you don't want to learn a whole new system and all of the nuances of it. So for like a game like, you know, D&D or anything like that, where like, what does this equipment do? What do these things do? Blah, blah, blah. Um, You don't need to know every spell. There are the other side of games as opposed to focused specific setting, etc., is generalist systems. And these are systems 
of resolution mechanics. So it's like, you know, we just use, use the an same example. Dice. We just use Powered by the Apocalypse as an example of both. Because <laughs> that's where we're it is, right but, now. But honestly, <laughs> the system but, is generalist, but the specific games that exist out there are very specific. Within it are, yeah, well, no. So that's actually a great point. And yes, I'm a PBTA fanboy. So really, Rainy? <laughs> scream the praises. Can we get you a jingle too? Yeah, I'm converted. Like, like Powered by the Apocalypse is great. Now that yeah, I'm he's, he's converted me too. I used to make fun of him for that. Now I just make fun of Rainy for other things. It is. But because, it's, it's very different though, right? Like Powered by the Apocalypse is based on like a reactionary kind of, which I guess D&D is kind of reactionary too, but like, I feel like PBTA is, is you're building like a reaction to all of these actions. It's, it's more narrative. You're rolling against each other, against yes, the DMs that's true. rolling against you. The biggest thing is um, D&D and games like that with a D20 roll are very, yeah, they're very um, reactionary, but they are... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Binary results. You succeed or you mm, fail, period. Yes. The thing yeah. about PBTA that is very genius is that you have a failure condition, but nothing about that failure condition says you don't necessarily succeed. It's just that it comes with a big old cost. Mm-hmm. Things get bad. Seven to nine is the mixed success, and then 10 plus is an unmitigated success. It's a very clever, very simple system using 2d6 that um, you can apply to whatever as long as you understand how those things help tell the story. You know what I mean? Always move forward. In D&D, there are some things where, like, you fail, and it's not written in the rules anywhere, fail forward. But in PBTA, it's like, give them what they want. Just make it a pain in the Mm -hmm. ass. You know what I mean? Like, um... Pull out their weaknesses, make them face things they don't want to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you can do that in more traditional games, but it's not supported or explicit in the rules. What are some other, fate. and I know there's a bunch. Fate, I, fate yep. does that phenomenally. Oh, and fate, the nice thing about Fate is it's just a generic rule system where you can literally take and make whatever you want out of it. And uh, I know we've talked about this before. We've had a really good superhero campaign come out of Fate. Uh, and I, I look forward to doing other things within it too, because there's a lot of really great stuff that has been done with Fate too, even as just mini, mini campaigns and mini, mini games that people have created uh, with that rule set. Is mm-hmm. is fate the one with like successes and stunts and stuff yep. like that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you really yeah. and fate, the dice are pluses and minuses yeah. and blanks. Fate They're, is really a rule gotcha. set yes. that you can take and create whatever you want. So if you wanted to create, you know, like when we created our our our, our superhero characters, you know, stunts were their powers. But it's, you could just as easily do that game and do a you know a game where you play forensic accountants and their stunts should be like you know coffee addiction and something else you know and you can whatever i don't know i don't know any forensic accounts that just popped into my head but i think i have i think i've talked about this before and it is something that i would like to do with dms after dark if we do want to run a fake game um although i know that the company has been in some hot water lately um but i was when i was reading fate i was just like this is such a good system for example like you said uh christian superheroes I would love to run an Overwatch-themed fate game where each of you make basically a B-squad. Like, not the the title heroes of the video game, and obviously we would have to watch out for copyright and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you make a bunch of, like, local Overwatchers. We can call it under supervision. (laughs) Which is actually funny, and I just came up with that on the spot. But, um... (laughs) But yeah, it the, it works really well with fate because the way you design characters in fate is you give them basically, um, you know, powers on cooldown or you know what I mean, like certain uses. Um, but yes, uh, Blizzard is not the best company. Uh, hopefully, Microsoft's acquisition of them helps. Um, I do have another generalist system which is called Lumen, 
Uh, it is put out by Spencer Campbell, who is an amazing RPG uh, developer. He's uh, in the indie scene. He's done quite a few really great games, um, but he recently has been putting out um, games under his generalist system called Lumen, and um, it is similar to other games that use just D6s, where um, the core mechanic of Lumen is you roll uh, from a pool of D6 based on your character's abilities, and uh, on a 1 or a 2, like if it's the highest roll, uh, you fail, and there's a consequence. On a 3 or 4, you succeed with a complication, and on a 5 or 6, you succeed with no problems. Um, so it's kind of forged in the dark-like, um, which is another generalist system we could talk about. And there's also Savage Worlds, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've actually never played I played it only so. only played it once. But, I mean, it's out there. A lot of people really love it. And it's, um, you know, another game. I think it's very easy to take that rule set and apply it to a lot of very different things. Uh, and that's that's a great thing. So I, I feel like the other thing that I'm kind of noticing by listening to you guys and talking about these other systems is that we kind of touched upon it a little bit before, but D&D is very like level power based like you guys talked about. So it seems like these other tabletop RPGs are very focused more on storytelling, right? It's removing mm-hmm. that kind of video game aspect of the tabletop RPG. And you have to be really committed to storytelling and like building a character and telling a story through this through this genre in this game a lot of these more generalist systems don't really build up your character they build out if that makes yeah. any sense mm-hmm. um yeah. so like yes. with with D, a lot of the leveling a lot of those traditional rpgs i shouldn't just say D, yeah. a lot of these traditional rpgs that are fantasy and whatnot um even a lot of sci-fi ones when you level up all of your numbers go up you're dealing more damage you're hitting more frequently you have more uses of your abilities um, like more uses of these damage dealing or whatever rolling abilities. Whereas these other systems that are more focused on the narrative, more focused on uh, the fiction and telling a story, basically just give you more ways to use your powers, but they don't get more powerful. They just yeah. give you more interesting ways to deal and interact with the story. But there are other games that yeah. um, kind of give you the option to do it both, honestly. Uh, and the one I'm thinking of is Mutants and Masterminds which is a superhero game. And uh, and it was built off the Indy 3.5. So it was built with the D20 system, uh, but they, they modified it a lot. Uh, but basically, as, as you have, you know, your superhero adventures, you just gain you just gain points, power points, that you can use to buy more different things or, or expand your powers. Uh, and they have what's called power level, the concept in the game, uh, which ranges anywhere from one all the way up to whatever infinity. Uh, the average human being would be one. Uh, an Avenger might be like a level, a power level 10, right? So you, when you'd start your characters at power level 10, maybe in, in the game. Wait, right. an Avenger is power level 10? Yeah, so you think like Captain <laughs> but, America, the Hulk, you know. But you can it, go up to infinity? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Thanos might be 20 because he has to be able to take care, take all those mm, guys out, okay. right, in one fight, right? So, yeah. uh, and that's really just a loose way of kind of like balancing encounters, yeah. but. Well, and like you said, though, that's a perfect example of having an unbalanced game, but making it fine. Yeah, you know I mean? it's absolutely fine. And it's also absolutely fine to have a team. Uh, and, and, you know, the builds that I've seen of people that have done of, of the Justice League on there, where, you know, Superman is like a PL 16 character or 18. And you have like, you know, Green Arrow is like PL 8. You know, power level eight. He's, a, he's a guy who can Hawkeye. shoot really well with a bow, you know. So uh, but the point I was making with that game is that. They have rules in there where they say, okay, once you've gotten, you know, 15 power points or something, you probably should increase the power level in the game. You don't have to. I ran a whole campaign where we never did that. uh, And the characters just built out. You just learn to use your powers in different ways. 
and picked up all the little different things like skills and stuff. So they grew more as like kind of like interesting characters and they, they grew into their powers and learned to use them better. They didn't necessarily become more powerful. And that worked really well. We had a lot of fun. That was like 38 to 40 session campaign. So. Um, so one system I want to talk about that kind of goes back to what Jess was talking about, about like how it's like really storytelling focused um, is Fiasco. Oh, yeah. I am a huge proponent of this game. It was my first RPG I played that was not a traditionalist game. Um, before that, I had only played D&D and Pathfinder. Um, but we got into Fiasco and it's absolutely incredible. Um, and for folks who don't know, the way Fiasco works is you get a certain number of D6s. I don't remember how many. Um, and this is the game setup, by the way. A bunch of them all in one color, a bunch of them all in another color. Uh, one represents good, one represents bad. You roll all of them across the table and leave them there. Yeah. <laughs> you will take and give dice. So in the creation of the game, in of your characters... They, each fate, um, each fate, oh God, each <laughs> fiasco has a booklet of uh, six possible, like six ways your characters know each other and within each of those six, six specifics, right? And that's how you create your connections to the people around the table. Um, and then how you create the specifics of the story is by taking and giving each other all these D6s. And then you've got your little pile of a mix of good and bad D6s. And then during the game, when each scene happens, someone else will give one of the people in the scene a D6 to determine whether the scene goes good or bad for that person in the <laughs> end. You can determine how good or bad works. Like, they could still get the thing they want, but something else happens that makes it shittier for them. And that's considered a bad end. Um, and then depending on the numbers of the D6s you have at the end and the ratio of good and bad, you get different generic endings and you have to make it work for your character. And it's absolutely fascinating. Um, I was going to say that almost sounds like it could be competitive too, right? Like people trying to just screw up your story. <laughs> it could be. It could be. But sometimes it, it, sometimes it just produces the best results without even, without even realizing mm -hmm. it. Um, so I, I highly suggest Fiasco. Their, their stuff ranges from, like, we did a superhero game, we did a kids at camp, like a Friday the 13th kind of deal, we did a one where we, we were a news team, like, it's so random, but they have so many, it's a blast. Yeah, that sounds fun. That's what I was gonna say, too, is that I, I feel like after so long... I've just gotten tired of fantasy after playing it for yep. so, yeah. so long, right? Mm -hmm. With D&D &D and Pathfinder and all of these other systems. And I feel like all of these other systems like Fiasco and all of these generalized systems too, they let you play in any story that you kind of really want to tell. Um, in yeah, so setting. actually, that was actually going to be my next point, like kind of wrapping up these different types of games we have, like just giving you the reason, like we're, we're spilling out the reasons here for why you should do this. Because if you take a week off to play a new game and you play a focused system that wants to tell a certain kind of story even if you don't like the mechanics of it even if you don't like the genre of it you might find that it teaches you something about telling stories and you can bring that back and you can incorporate that into your traditional fantasy or sci-fi or whatever game you're running if you take a week off and you play a game that has a generalist mechanic system like uh, just a general mechanic and you and your friends can play whatever you want well, that's going to teach you something about how mechanics 
and the design of how these uh, any kind of obstacle is overcome using the mechanics, be it dice or cards. There's a lot of cool card games uh, for like like solo players or even like you know co-op players out there, and then or things like Dread and Starcross that we've talked about on recent podcasts using a, a wooden block tower. Um, the mechanics. Nice, nice avoidance of copyright there, bud. Jorngo. Jorngo. <laughs> Jorngo. <laughs> the mechanics. I'm sorry, it, it popped into my head. And I no, have to say, it's it. okay. The mechanics of those generalist systems are going to sh- show you why the game that you're playing either works in a way that you enjoy, or all of a sudden you might realize, oh, that might not be the most interesting way to handle this. Maybe we can, you know, find something that does this better. Can I just add one more thing to that, Rainy? Yeah, sure. So I would also say that the more different games you play, uh, you're going to get exposed to different ideas about game design or, or, or even just dungeon mastering, right? Or, or running games because different games mm-hmm. have different advice. And the game, the thing that fascinates me the most, Jess put something in the chat earlier. She hates reading RPG books, right? Because she says they like history and they're boring. I love reading them. I'm, I'm the opposite of you. Uh, me and too. I will say this though. The thing I love the most about reading them <laughs> is their, their advice sections for the game masters. Uh, because you will find great, great advice within them. And, and it's just, you know, sometimes D&D, there's great advice in the Dungeon Master's Guide in d and I'm not discounting it by any stretch of the imagination, but you can take a game, if it's a cyberpunk game or a space opera game or a horror game, you're going to find advice in there about running that game, about pacing, about suspense, about something that you can take and you can apply that not only back to your D&D game if you only played a one-shot, but to any other game that you're going to play. Yep. Um, and I will say this, D&D 5e, uh, I'm going back to shitting on it, here we go, D&D 5e's Dungeon Master's Guide is not a good book to teach you how to dungeon master. All. all it is, is tables about how to generate towns and cities and dungeons. It's like, roll on this table for what the material of this door is. What are we doing? Tell people <laughs> how to tell stories. It's an awful book for fledgling dungeon masters. Older editions were save, much better. Save that $50 and buy the fourth edition Dungeon Master's Guide and you'll actually wow. get great advice from it. Wow, we're plugging the Dungeon Master for fourth edition. I've never, I've or never third read Dungeon Master Guide. Second edition yeah, Dungeon DM. Master's Guide is really good too. I'm going to have to go look back and look at my old editions. I know, too. me too. I was just going to add to that too. From the player side, I feel like one of the things that I've really enjoyed from our from our streams and things like that and playing different systems is just being able to think about how to structure a character very differently and how to come up with like a character storyline um, with these different systems. So I've really enjoyed that, at least from the player side. I, know I just want to say that, Jess, I, I eagerly await the day where I can get you to just not come up with a storyline to begin with. You just have a character. You just see what the hell happens we can, to him. Jess, we can do that off stream. You can try winging a one shot. Yeah, you don't us. have to do it when people watch. You might find that you're like, wow. Uh, you guys like, are like waiting for this aha moment. And I don't, I don't know if it's ever think, coming. Jess, I'm you, <laughs> not as hard as you think. Jess, oh, do you think, I will tell you right. I will, you know what? I will give a full spoiler. I didn't do a damn thing of prep for Good Society. Mm-hmm. Nice. And it was amazing. I didn't do a damn thing. You don't have to. I, all I knew is that I was like, we're going to do, we're going to have it set at a harvest festival. And I only knew that because Amber and I worked together and we were joking around about it one day and she offhandedly mentioned that. And I went, sure, sounds good. <laughs> the last time I ran Good Society for these guys, 
All I knew is that there had to be a ball because I'm a sucker for them. And I think they're an essential yeah. part of Regency stuff. So I was like, there needs to be a goddamn ball. Oh, absolutely. That's all I did. That's it. Oof. And look at and look at what I was talking about the with the horse, right? With and this is not necessarily spoilers for our <laughs> okay. good society thing, but a plug. Listen to our good society podcast. But that whole the, the Canadian Bay horse was just a detail I threw in because I was like, you know what, Remington's not going to be riding a shitty horse. So you're looking at the circus horses. Hey, there's a really cool horse there, right? Mm-hmm. And Amber picked that up with her character Catherine and ran with it. And now we have this like crazy ass centerpiece. To the whole story they were telling, which is hysterical. The climax of the story arc is happening at a horse race. race. Yeah, I would have had no way to know or think or plan that, but it's so perfect for the story and and the conclusion. And we wrapped and we wrapped every single character up in it. I was just going to say, I think that's also another really, really good point, right? Is that some of these systems they range in how much prep you could have to make, right? Like you talked about doing a one page. Um, yeah, RPG. RPG, yeah, but like some of these systems, you could go into just like Good Society with very little mm-hmm. going on, right? And it's it's built in. The story is built into the characters that they make, and like the genre and the system or the idea that you're going into. Um, where D and D, you have to prep monsters and things like that, which isn't bad, right? But no, but it's so, going to be an eye opening experience right? if all you've ever run is D and D, and then you go in and I mean, I know that was for me. And I know this is going to get into like the other, you know, eye-opening experiences running other games. So maybe I'll segue and I'll start if that's all right with everyone else. But I have a point, but go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Randy. Uh, um, so, no, you brought something up about characters and um, how much you've been enjoying the different approach to building a character, Jess. And that's another thing. This isn't just for GMs. Like players playing another game might make your mind explode when you go oh my goodness i don't have to make a fully optimized character for combat builds and have to worry about what's the best tactical decision for my character when i level up if you're playing a game that doesn't care about that if they're playing a game about story and it might teach you a lot about like you said jess one of the things you struggle with in D and pathfinder the games you run is finding out how to incorporate story arcs for your players if they're not giving you anything because all they've ever known is i have to make a min-maxed character to be efficient in combat and all of a sudden they're playing a game where their story matters, that might be a moment for them where they go, holy shit, I need to start investing my character's emotions and muscles in my D&D games. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think another point for that too is that um, one thing that I struggled with when I came into um, D&D and Pathfinder is that I was on a very unequal level, right? Like the group that I came in, they were way more experienced than I was and I was still struggling to learn how to create a character and level and, and what spells to pick and like what I needed to buy to be like on the same level as them. Where all of these other – well, not all of them, but a lot of the other RPGs that we've talked about, everyone kind of comes in and your character is – and your experience is just about equal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way to kind of like optimize because you're, you're about kind of telling your character in the story. Yeah. No human being is optimized. Every human being has their skills and their mm-hmm. flaws and characters should have that too. Except elves. <laughs> <laughs> elves are the best. <laughs> just, that was just a joke. You said every human being, so mm-hmm. I was just... One of the interesting, Jess, I'm going to be interested to see when we play Invisible Sun and you look at a more character creation there, because the entire advancement portion of that game uh, is that the players choose their arcs. Mm, Yeah. Just look at the first one, Jess. Just look at the first one. But so that segues really well into what I think should be our last segment, which is going to be our individual experiences 
with playing something else. It doesn't have to be, you know, something non-D&D. If the first game you played wasn't D&D, I think most of ours was. But um, what was, like, the first thing you played or the first thing you ran that wasn't one of these traditional systems? And what kind of revelations did that have for you when you were like, wow, there's more to gaming than just power fantasy? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about the first game I ran outside of um, outside of D&D. Uh, but I'll talk about what I played too. The first game I played outside of D&D was Star Wars. It was a West End Games D6 Star Wars game, uh, which is a phenomenal game um, because the biggest difference for it, first of all, it was, it was something that was designed to run be a Star Wars story, right? And, and it did it very, very well. And it was a great system uh, because its advancement system was simply just accumulating these points that you used to buy more skills. And you never leveling up wasn't a thing and you could also have a party mixer of very very experienced characters with very inexperienced characters and it still worked uh which was a really cool thing um but the first games that i ran outside of DD were like call of cthulhu mutants and masterminds superhero games and the eye-opening things there were that yeah there are statistics and there were like monster stats you had to worry about but call of cthulhu is a lot more about pacing and superhero games are a lot more about characterizing your villains correctly so I haven't run a long form game other than Pathfinder and D&D. So that'll be really interesting someday to try something else in a different system. I'm a little bit nervous about it, but I've seen how well you guys do. And so I'm excited about it too. You ran Twas. Yeah, but that was just a one shot, right? I was saying I've never really run anything with like a really long story to incorporate characters and character story into that. So that'll be interesting. That'll be fun. Um but the first game I ever played that wasn't Pathfinder or D&D was Mistborn. <laughs> and it was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. There were just so many rules and so many things. And it, it's not a great um, first RPG to go into, right? Yeah, I know Amber, unfortunately, had to leave uh, a little earlier. But she would have loved having this conversation. Um, and it's so funny, Amber, and I've talked about this before. Mistborn as a series, like the books, I love them. Um, because it's such clever world building. It's a post-apocalyptic world uh, where it's ruled by a supreme leader. And, um, you know, he's this super oppressive person. And the whole premise was like Brandon Sanderson said, like, well, you know, like, what if they beat the bad guy, like the ultimate supreme leader? And then it, things don't get better. Like, and that's it. Like the end of the first book of the trilogy is they beat. Oh, that's a huge spoiler. <laughs> Sorry. The book's been out a while, dude. Um, You're okay. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's, a a while. Um, it's okay. But so, anyway. Just it, put it in the notes. Spoilers yeah. for Mistborn. Yeah. So, um, but that's the story. But the cool thing about that series is that these people can control metals that they ingest into their bodies and they have different effects on the world. And that's amazing. And Brandon Sanderson is known for his very intricate magic systems. And trying to make that into an RPG game. I have yeah. a Mistborn RPG over here. And it is way too big of a book for what that needs to yeah. be. The mechanic like it for it was miserable. The mechanics for ingesting metal were just so complicated and so hard to track. It was terrible. But again, so that's that you know, yeah, that's an example of like you tried something and like you found something you didn't like. Yes. And whether that's mechanics or theme or story or whatever, um, 
in this case, it was mechanics that just yeah. But the next game that I remember playing was you know, and I can't remember the exact name of the game, but it was a one-page RPG, and basically you played a group of five goblins, and you just like picked one goblin, and you were playing that goblin, and then something would happen, that goblin would die, but then you'd replace it with the next goblin, and you'd just have like five goblins, and you'd be trying to accomplish some sort of like mundane task, right? Like just getting a, this stick and sticking it into a mountain, and you just had five goblins to get it done and that was great that was like one of the best games i've played in my life and uh and it was so simple and i loved it and that's that's more what i guess i'm looking for <laughs> uh, we you will have that aha moment jess i will get you a very rules like game you're gonna love it yeah we're just gonna keep throwing games at jess until she's probably i'm excited for this princess game that was so sweet rainy i'm i'm so excited jess i'm take a look can, at it if there's a game you're gonna love i hope that it's this excellence <laughs> game i really hope so so, um, my first uh, other uh, RPG, as I mentioned earlier, was Fiasco. Um, I had, so I, I, in college, I had had a, um, a group of friends where we had all played Pathfinder for a year together, but then after freshman year, half two of the members of the group dropped out of school, and one ended up kind of drifting apart, so it was just me and one other person. We ended up with another group of friends, and we one of them introduced us to Fiasco. Um, and it became this, like, hilarious, ridiculous thing that we would do just, like, on weekends randomly or, like, midnight when we were all awake. We'd all crowd into one of our dorm rooms and just sit on the floor and play Fiasco. Because uh, it required no prep. It was all chaos. It was ridiculous. We once, like, played in an abandoned, like, not abandoned, it was, like, an empty classroom at, like, 10 at night because they'd left the doors open and the lights on and we thought it was hilarious and it was. You know, we were, we were 19. We were stupid. Yeah. It was great. Um, but the other oh, so like two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm not oh. that young. Jokes. I'm not that nice. young. Nobody bailed on me for being old, but now Sarah got shit. I'm just yeah. listen. How does the ageism feel, stupid, Sarah? It doesn't feel good, young. does it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's better I'm to be young listen. than old, though, right? <laughs> hey, I'm gonna ride this baby face for the rest of my life. Damn sure. it! I'll fucking do take it as it. much as you can. Trust I'm... me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> The other RPG that I played uh, early on in college, uh, oh god, Rainy, I'm so sorry, I just looked at my audio levels, they are spiking badly when I was laughing there, I'm so sorry. Um, the other RPG I played early on in college was Paranoia. Ooh. <laughs> and I remembered this because, Jess, you were talking about the five goblins So in Paranoia. Similar, yes. it's, so it's this sci-fi dystopia uh, where Clones. everything is watched over by a friend computer. Uh, and you are all your clones. And if you die, a clone of you just shows up and you have five. Uh, and you are all trying to accomplish this goal for the society that you live in, but like half of you are secretly mutants and half of you are secretly commies. And like you're trying to like, like that's literally what it is. It's like you're mutants and communists in disguise as normal clones. Um, and like, you are trying to like secretly sabotage and the half the thing is like you can't get caught it, it was it's ridiculous it's a hilarious beautiful parody um and i i don't remember the rules but i remember it being wicked easy to learn because i learned it and played it in less than like learned it in like a half hour and then just like played a four-hour game of it i too will go back to college uh to talk about the first games that i played that weren't D D, and actually 
Oh, goodness. This was grad school. I'm so much older than I think I am. Anyway. I'm here to remind you all that you're old. <laughs> yeah. True. Um, so, <laughs> one of the first games, I can't remember exactly the order that these happened, but it was all right around the same time where, like, I'd been running uh, 3.5 D&D for a while for my friends, and then the D&D next uh, playtest was out, which was um, basically pre-5e. They put stuff out. It was still, they had, like, lores as knowledges and all this stuff. And we weren't playing the playtest material, so we were finding other things to play. And um, so a few of the games that I played that really taught me a lot and opened my mind were uh, Pokemon Tabletop United. Still a thing um, out there in the world, but I've talked about it on the podcast before. Uh, I love Pokemon. Everyone loves Pokemon. Come on. Um, and the idea of an open world Pokemon game is something that everyone's wanted forever. And the idea of playing it as an RPG and you're a trainer with Pokemon and stuff like that is great. Unfortunately, this game, not the one I would go with. Um, it is very crunchy, tons of DC. Well, you need a ton of dice for it because they literally mined the video game data. It's overwhelming. I learned while, uh, the mechanic was true to the video game. That was not what makes a good role playing game, tabletop role playing game. Um, so that was that taught me a lot about game design and um, mechanics, which is why to this day I'm insisting that we have another episode of this called Resolution Mechanics. <laughs> there will be an episode. Find the uh, find the mechanics that work for your game. Um, another game that I ran uh, was Titan's Grave: Ashes of Alcana, um, which was a Will Wheaton Geek and Sundry. I don't know if it's still on YouTube. It was a great series. It should be Geek and Sundry's channel still up. Yeah, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, well, there's been some legal issues with it. Uh, I oh. guess because he didn't get paid royalties for it. Yeah, it's a mess. But anyway, um, but it was a really cool sci fantasy system pre Starfinder. Um, that it's really cool. He came up with it a lot of it himself, and it uses the age system, so fantasy age, modern age, mm-hmm. uh, the Expanse RPG based on the sci-fi novels um, of James S. A. Corey. Um, that writing duo uses the age system and Dragon Age, which I believe Troy is going to be running soon. It's a three d six system, and that taught me a lot about mechanics as well because probability wise, three d six is a very neat bell curve, and you get very consistent results compared to a 1d20 system like D&D. Um, and it has a really cool system where if you ever roll three sixes at once, it's like a legendary action. It goes down in the history books. Like, they get to tell a story about how this action is going to be remembered for a long time because the, st- the statistics, the probability of you rare? rolling that, it, the, prob- the probability is something like 0.1%. So, yeah, it's it's really great um, if you roll three sixes on one roll. Um Someone's going to comment and be like, bro, your, your knowledge of maths is bad. <laughs> hey, guess what, fuckers? We're not math majors. Well, fun fact, I did do the statistics, or I enlisted a friend to help me with them for the probabilities of the game that Christian and I are running to make, or writing to make sure that this, the probability wow. works. That's which was amazing, guy. by the well, way, you, that he came up with, which is... You you know a math major, but it's not us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then lastly, the yeah, Bruce I would just say Dungeon World. And, and like everyone Dungeon here has said... This is this is another reason that uh, DMs After Dark has been such an amazing thing for me uh, and and for us, like to find you fellow nerds who want to play a bunch of different games. But like Sarah has sold me on Good Society, one hundred percent sold. So good. Um, I love hearing that you guys are loving Powered by the Apocalypse games because yes. I do feel like the design of that game, Vincent and McGay Baker, absolutely just incredible design from Apocalypse World and just the sheer number of games that have 
come from that um, and how well they all work using this engine is is truly a testament to how well designed it is. Um, so it's it's so fun to play. I'm I'm very interested to see how well I would do running one because it's very different. Yeah, it it takes a different skill. I think that Jess, it's going to be exactly what you need as far as that character arc. Yeah, issue maybe that you have maybe. because like the entire premise. Too. The, the entire premise of those games is to take what your characters give you in what they want to do or what their, their playbook says they should do as their arc. And it's up to you and them to collaboratively, collaborative, collaboratively, collaboratively weave that story. <laughs> oh, I still fumbled it. Yep. A little bit. That's okay. It's great. Collaborative a little bit. Beautiful. Even better. Um, one thing I want to say kind of as we wrap up here is something that I actually realized through this group is something that is constantly talked about in terms of traditional RPGs is campaign, right? This long, multi-year arc-spanning game. First off, there is nothing wrong with that. My closest friends and I just finished a five-year D&D campaign, Dang. and it That's is beautiful. <laughs> it is one of the greatest, it's some of the greatest memories I will ever have. However, DMs After Dark started with Christian going, hey, who wants to try this, like, four or five-week Call of Cthulhu game that I found mm-hmm. that I, you know, that I really, really like, and this is the group that showed up, and we were like, fuck yeah, we're in, let's do this. And then we just kept going that's literally what happened (laughs) it's what happened and because we're all taking turns running and there's all these short systems we're still getting a ton of fun and a ton of story and a ton of character out of these things but games do not have to be campaigns Mm -hmm. for them to be fun and for you to get good character development and character growth um I mean, off the top of my head, um, the the Cthulhu game we first played, all of us had these these wild and different characters, but they were still clearly had growth from episode one to episode five. Um, and even with the characters we've played here, um, all of us being RPG nerds, um, and a lot most of us, if not all of us, big readers. We, like, enjoy character depth and growth, and so that's all stuff that we've kind of implemented into it. So even though you're not getting years spanning of a character story, you're getting a snippet of it that's oftentimes just as fun. And it's okay to love these characters and fall in love with them, and you can revisit them in the future, but you don't have to play the same character all the time. That makes it a lot more fun, because you, you know, I feel like we've, you know, I've played long campaigns too, and they're great because, like you said, you have great, great memories of them, and they go on for a long, long time. Uh, but I feel almost as if in the past year-ish that we've been doing this, uh, we've almost like compacted a lot of those memories into that year, right? Because there's so many different games and so many different characters and so many different memories, and that's that's really cool. I will say this. One thing that we are obviously very lucky to have is everybody's willing to run games and we rotate. And it's very awesome. If you are in a game where you are the forever DM and you want to take a break and run something else, well, guess what? Unless your players are going to pony up and say, no, we only want, like, you know what I mean? No, we're playing this game. You can say, 
have fun. I am the one who's running the game. And if they want to pony up and run a different game, take a take a second and just play. You know, let them run something else. You know, like try and get everyone to understand what it's like to be behind the screen, no matter what game you play. And one shots are a lot better for people to who want to try to run a game. Oh, they're, yeah. Yeah, just, they're you, you know, there's no commitment. There's, you just try it once. If it's not for you, it's not for you, right? And there's nothing wrong with one shots. Not at all. They're insane and delightful and fucking hilarious. Yeah, you can. Um, that's another thing. You yeah. can be very loose with a one shot, and you can learn a lot by not caring like it's a campaign. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yes. I, I will say one of the best examples of uh, a one-shot where, that we've played that we were just like, we don't care, we're here for fun, is Barry Mary, the Great yep. Lips Bake Off. Yeah, we need like, to do that on stream soon. We absolutely do. Like so we, we went into it knowing there's only going to be one winner. None of us cared who it was. We were just there to party. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. That's true. Like, that was, and we all showed up with hilarious characters and just ridiculousness ensued. Uh, and sometimes that's all you need. You don't have to think. You just show up, roll dice, and have fun. And I think that is where we're going to end it for this week's episode of Modified Rolls. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, We really appreciate all the support you guys have been giving us. Um, If you want, uh, we would love it, love it, if you would give us a little review and rate. Uh, It is it really helps us get seen more and it also shows us we're loved and we love that you love us and we love you for loving us, for loving you, etc. Uh, if you want to stalk us on the social medias, we are on all of them at DMs After Dark. You can also email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. We stream every other Friday at twitch.tv slash dmsafterdark where we are officially affiliates. If you want to sub to us, you get a little cute GG emote. Uh, and there are other emotes in the works, so keep your eyes out on those. If you want to give us your Bezos money, we appreciate it. We love it. Steal from him. Give to us. Um, and, yeah. Play more games, folks. It's cool. It's fun. Games are here to be played and to have fun. Bye bye yeah, but I can totally homebrew it for 5e. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>